All right, good evening, everybody. I am going to go ahead and get started here. Um, I hope you all um, had a great day. And um, we got a little bit to cover. It shouldn't take all night. Um, actually, we should be done a little early tonight. We're um, finishing up our lesson in the Reformation um, period. And we are um, finishing up the Catholic response. We're going to look at the Council of Trent as well. So last week we um, we looked at um, the modes of salvation. So we looked at justification, sanctification, and glorification, and got a um, understanding of what uh, each of those modes of salvation uh, meant. And so tonight we are going to kind of do a, a tiny review of the Reformation uh, movement, and then we're going to move into a video that gives us a uh, clear understanding of um, of what the Reformation movement was about, um, especially dealing with Martin Luther. And um, we're going to go over some points from that video, and then we're going to move into the Council of Trent. So, um, so it shouldn't take that long tonight. Um, so I hope you all can hear me, and we're uh, doing all right. So let me share my screen here all right so all right so like i said we're finishing up we're on part two of the reformation movement and so um at the end of this you will learn more about the periods of the church and bible history beyond the new testament period you'll learn more about the role of the church and its play and its impact historically on how we understand what the bible is saying to us today and so we're going to look at the Catholic response of the, um, we talked about the, the sola um, scriptura the other week. And so we're going to look at their response to it. And also we're going to look at it, um, the Council of Trent, where um, this is the council where they kind of decide uh, with the interpretation of scripture and how they were going to communicate that with the people and things like that. So they controlled a lot of the interpretation of the Bible. Okay, so um, for the past kind of, I guess, two weeks, we've been looking at the Protestant movement. So, like, so here was the issue um, that the Protestant reformers faced during their time. They felt strongly that the church was wavering too far um, from the teachings of the apostles um, of the New Testament. And so as a result of one council after another. So these Bible scholars were reading the Bible and began to ask questions about the way um, the church hierarchy were interpreting and even adding to scriptures, especially um, where the teachings of the church could not be clearly supported by scripture. So in an age um, where there remained harmony between sacred and secular knowledge, questions will eventually arise. So uh, I know we have an understanding that um, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the Catholic church, the, the priests the priesthood. We're not talking about what we know as a church as, as us all together, but there's a separation of clergy and laity and the clergy and the clergy, they control the interpretation of the Bible. Um, people were not allowed having Bibles. The only language that the Bible was written in at that time was Latin. And as a language that no one, um, of a normal, uh, person or, um, a, a poor, poor status, they didn't know how to speak Latin. So um, they really limit anybody from owning the Bible, but the priesthood or whatnot. So they controlled a lot of the interpretation. They just told them what they need to follow 
and the people just had to go with it or whatnot. So, um, so there were some people who had a lot of concern about that. And one of them that we talked about was Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a professor um, in the College of Wittenberg, Germany. And um, he had an issue um, with the um, de uh, declarations of the Catholic Church. And so he was teaching a class just trying to get some, you know, interpretation and, you know, have the, the kids kind of think about you know, the, the Catholic um, rules and decrees. And he posted on his door um, what, what is called the 90, 95 thesis statements. And he um, were talking against the Catholic church or whatnot. So someone took that off the door, translated it into um, Latin and sent it to Rome from Germany. And it got back to the, the Catholic church and they wanted to speak with Martin Luther, but those who were part of the Reformation movement with him, they decided that that wasn't a good idea and put him in hiding um, from the Catholic church. So, um, so Martin Luther, he never really had a desire to ch challenge the, Catholic Church um, face to face, he was just, you know, uh, sparking debate amongst his um, students. And because of that, and it traveling from German, Germany to Rome, it kind of sparked what we have today um, as far as the, pro the Protestant movement. So last week we went into depth about the five solas and we looked at the process of salvation. So these five solas, um, were developed by the Protestant movement, and they were very important when it comes to our beliefs. So we understand that the Catholic Church didn't have an issue with them except three of them. So let me see here. Um, so we're going to look at this video. It's a it's a video that kind of explains the whole Protestant movement. I think I believe that he he does a really good job explaining um, the Protestant movement. So let me. Get that up here, play it for you all. Give me one second to switch screens again. Um, let's see here. Let's see my desktop. All right, there we go. So if you're studying the Reformation, you've probably already kind of realized that in order to be a student of the Reformation and its history, you also have to be a little bit of a theologian. And so what I'm going to do in this segment is I'm going to focus on Martin Luther's doctrines. All right, there's a lot that Martin Luther does. I've got another video on Martin Luther in general where I summarize things, but I want to focus on those doctrines and what makes Luther unique as a reformer and what differentiates him from the Catholic Church. So first of all, when we look at Martin Luther, we need to focus on the three soli, all right, sola scriptura, sola gratia, and sola fide, only scripture, only grace, and only faith. First of these being sola scriptura. This means that all doctrines 
must be directly derived from Scripture. Now, of course, the Catholic Church uh, sees the Scriptures as very important and the foundation for all doctrine, but there's no rule that this is the only thing that can be consulted. But for Martin Luther, if it's not in the Bible, then it can't be a doctrine if it's not explicitly in the Bible. And this, of course, has a legacy in uh, Protestant Christianity, which is dominant in the United States. So Luther's been quite influential here, saying that the Bible is central to Christian doctrine. Also think about when you're looking at the Renaissance and humanistic studies, that the Bible is this ancient text, this classic text, that is going to become really the foundation for Reformation doctrine. Now, the next of these soli is sola gratia. Now, sola gratia is saved by grace, okay? That only grace is going to save you. After all, it says in the Bible here, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some translations don't point out free. I mean, after all, every gift is free, but there's that connotation. If salvation is a gift, then it is free. There is nothing that we can do to earn it, that God has chosen to save us through his grace. Mark Sanford, a politician here in South Carolina, put it best when, in a victory speech, he was elected back to Congress after his governor he'd been caught having an affair and he had a political comeback. And he told the crowd there at his victory party, I am one imperfect man saved by God's grace. And that is really the essence of what Luther's getting at, um, is this idea of simul justus et peccator. This means simultaneously saint and sinner. If you've read the Bible, you might remember at least vaguely a passage from St. Paul where he's talking about, I do what I do not want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do, and I wanted to do this, but it did that, and I was thinking about that, but then I really went and did this, and so on and so forth. Well, you get here that, yes, Paul, undoubtedly a Christian, but there were still times where he struggled to do the things that he believed were necessary if you were a Christian. And Luther believed that although you can be saved by grace, that you still hold on to this sinful nature. Now, of course, this goes back to Luther's view of free will, which is different from the Catholic teaching. Now, Erasmus, who was a critic of the Catholic Church uh, in his The Praise of Folly, Still, when Luther did his thing, Erasmus wrote a tract against Luther called The Freedom of the Will. And Erasmus is defending Catholic teaching here, the Catholic teaching of free will. That is what he's about. He believes that Luther has gone too far in going outside the church. Uh, Erasmus preferred to criticize the church from within, whereas Luther is going outside of the church and doing his own thing. And Luther responds with his own writing in response to Erasmus on the bondage of the will, where Luther believes that the Catholic teaching on free will is, is off because Luther doesn't really feel that his will is totally free. After all, how many of you have made mistakes, have done things that you regret, and you think back and you're thinking, why did I do that? That is not in accordance with who I want to be. And that is certainly not in accordance with my 
goal of being a good Christian. Well, Luther saw this too, and he concludes that the Catholic teaching on free will um, is not true to him. This all goes back to the doctrine of original sin, that Adam and Eve sinned, they were thrown out of the garden, and according to this doctrine of original sin, formulated primarily by St. Augustine, is that every one of Adam's descendants, that is to say everyone, inherits this original sin, inherits this sinful nature. Think about this pelican here that has been in the midst of an oil spill. God doesn't create things that are bad, but at the same time, it's almost like having this oil on you, okay? That you are a God-created being, but you are covered in this sinful nature that is going to limit your free will, at least to an extent. And the question is, can we be cleaned? And if we can be cleaned, how much can we be cleaned? Now, as far as the Catholic teaching on free will, then we can be claimed through baptism, that baptism washes away original sin and restores someone's free will so that they can act in accordance with Christianity and Christian teachings. And so Erasmus views salvation in the Catholic context as a cooperative effort, that God's grace acts as a support for a free human will in working out salvation. I'll do another lecture where we talk specifically about free will, but keep in mind for this purpose that Catholics view salvation as a cooperative effort between God and the human being. Not that a human being can earn their salvation, but that God's grace supports someone's will to be saved. Whereas for Martin Luther, he believed that the human will is bound by evil and that only God's grace acting alone can liberate it. So while Catholics view salvation as a cooperative effort between the individual and God, Luther views this as a unilateral effort that God saves, and it is his grace that saves and his grace alone. Now, keep in mind, one thing that's interesting is that in this debate between Luther and Erasmus, both writers relied solely on scripture to support their arguments, whereas Catholics believe that there are other teachings, such as the church fathers and church tradition. Uh, Erasmus said, look, Luther, you've got this sola scriptura thing going. I'll just use scripture. Okay, so keep in mind that Catholics believe that their doctrines come from scripture as well. It's just that Luther believes that only scripture should be used when formulating doctrine. And finally, sola fide, which is justification by faith alone. And this is, of course, biblical. St. Paul wrote, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works, okay? So what Luther sees here when he looks at uh, what Paul is writing, there are so many references to this free gift that is God's that he wants to give you because he chooses to, not by works so that no one can boast. <laughs> us now to the problem of the three soli. Now, when I say a problem, I don't mean that Luther's doctrines are unique in having a problem. This is the whole study of theology, that any system of 
religious doctrine is going to have some problems, some contradictions, or even apparent contradictions. So in this case, you've got only scripture, only grace, and only faith. Well, that's three only. So uh, usually, if we say only, we're saying like, you are my one and only or something like that. So in Luther's case, he has three onlys. And what happens when there's a conflict or an apparent conflict? And this is most visible in the epistle of James, uh, this whole problem of having three onlys. And the most quoted part of the book of James is typically where he writes, faith without works is dead. James says, look, if somebody's hungry and you see that they're hungry and you say, oh, hey, good luck with that. Uh, good luck getting fed and warm and all of that. Yay, Jesus. Well, wait, what did you do? How did you confirm your faith through doing nothing? And he wrote, just as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. And this kind of flies in the face of what Luther is saying, whereas the Catholic Church uh, embraces this wholeheartedly and says that, look, if you have a sincere faith, that faith is going to be confirmed with good works. Martin Luther doesn't believe that. And what is he going to do with this? Well, Luther, when he is reading the scriptures, uh, sola scriptura, this doctrine of only scripture. Now, this is without regard to church teaching or anything like that. Luther believed in the priesthood of all believers, uh, that there wasn't just something special about the church hierarchy, that every believer has a priesthood from God, whereas this gives every believer the freedom to interpret the Bible. Whereas the Catholic Church believes that scripture should be interpreted in accordance with the teachings of the church. Martin Luther believed that an individual believer can interpret the Bible with help from the Holy Spirit. And that's still um, kind of a conflict between Catholicism and Protestantism today. Um, does the church have the authority to interpret the Bible or does the individual with the help from the Holy Spirit have the ability to interpret the Bible? And in Luther's case, when it came to the book of James, the epistle of James, which has the biggest conflict with his doctrine in his preface to the New Testament, he referred to the book of James as an epistle of straw, uh, that this epistle should not really be put up there with all of the others, kind of like Animal Farm, the some are more equal than others sort of thing. And you see here where Luther doesn't throw it out of the Bible, but he downgrades it. And it just happens to be the book of the Bible that presents the biggest conflict with his doctrines. So this is what happens when you have three onlys. Now, another point of contention for Luther is while the Catholic Church had seven sacraments, Luther only recognized three, baptism, communion, and penance. And penance isn't quite seen the same way as it's seen in the Catholic Church, but as far as a sacrament, as far as something that the church provides that is essential for salvation, Luther throws four of them out and says that these are things that are provided by the church, but they are not sacraments, they are not 
necessary for salvation or anything like that. So you see that he has downgraded the sacraments. Now, of all people, it's Henry VIII who comes to the Catholic Church's aid. Henry VIII who is going to start the English Reformation later on when he decides that he's uh, tired of his Spanish wife. And so Henry VIII defended the Catholic Church's teaching in his defense of the seven sacraments. And he explains here why there are seven sacraments, not six, certainly not three. And Henry VIII wrote, do not listen to the insults and detractions against the vicar of Christ, which the fury of the little monk spews up against the Pope. Of course, Henry seeing the Pope as the vicar of Christ, uh, Christ's representative on earth, who Christ is living vicariously through vicar. And because of his vigorous defense of the vicar of Christ, the vicar of Christ gives Henry VIII a special title, Defender of the Faith. Uh, of course, this is a title that although the English monarchs are no longer Catholic, they still use today. So in review, just keep in mind the three soli, sola scriptura, sola gratia, and sola fide. And then, of course, you have Luther's idea of the bondage of the will, that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. Also, the priesthood of all believers, that the individual has some authority to interpret the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit. And finally, that there are not seven sacraments, there are three. So with that, if you like what you heard, if this helped you out. Okay, so um, what I, the reason why I put that video up there is just to give you a um, summary of what we've been talking about these last two weeks. I thought he did a really good job of presenting um, the Reformation and talking about the solo scriptures, um, what we have been talking about these last few weeks or whatnot. So... What I'm going to do is just give you a few notes that I, that I got from the video that I, I believe that is important to talk about. But if, does anybody have any questions regards to what he was um, saying? Okay, if not, okay, I'm gonna give you my notes. So um, when he talks about Martin Luther, there were, there were more people behind Martin Luther that, that pushed this Protestant movement, but Mar Martin Luther was just the face of the movement. Um, like I said earlier, like he, did, he really didn't have a desire to, um, to um, charge the church, to, to uh, challenge the uh, Catholic church, um, but his writings just got back to them or whatnot. So he just kind of, his face was the, um, the, spe the spear of the movement. And like I told y'all before, like they, when he was um, called by the Catholic Church to uh, to come and defend their, his faith, um, he he ran into hiding. He became a monk and all that. So um, so he kind of you know ran away or whatnot. But um, he was smart, right? <laughs> right, he was smart, and uh, because he was studying um, about the the catholics and their their beliefs um he you know left the catholic church and you know their priests they couldn't get married and all that stuff so he left the catholic church got married and had kids and lived his life and so um so so if you want to know more about sola scriptura that was in our book on page 42 that we talked about and also um he talked about um he didn't use his word but 
um, when he was talking about sinner and saint. So we have to we have to have an understanding that we are dichotomous. So we are kind of two part nature. Um, we you know we deal with the flesh and we deal with the spirit. So that in Romans seven when he was talking about um, you know if I do the very thing I do I do not want to do I agree with the law. Um, this is when Paul was talking about the the wrestling with the flesh and the spirit or whatnot. And so you can read that uh, Romans chapter seven verse fourteen on um the the fight with um with flesh and spirit so um it's just like the you ever seen those cartoons with the angel and the devil on the shoulders that's kind of that's kind of actually quite accurate what we go through because we we want to do good but sometimes we choose wrong and in that i didn't want to do wrong but i chose anyway you know things like that so that's what um what he was talking about um, so the next, the next point was the Catholic view of free will. Um, they believe that they have a choice to choose between good and evil. Um, but Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther believed that, um, that I, I, um, hold on, I'm sorry, you guys. Thank you. Um, you, he believes, um, that you, we don't have a right to, we don't have the ability to choose good. In our flesh, we only can choose wrong. And if we think we're choosing right, we're still wrong, you know, to begin with. So we don't have an option to be saved. Like, we just can't tell God, all right, I'm going to be saved today. Like, God already decided before the foundations of the world that you were saved or whatnot. So um, that was one argument um, that that Martin Luther had or whatnot. So... Uh, Catholic says that you can choose him, but um, Martin Luther said, no, we were already chosen and you don't really have a choice. It's just a matter of time or whatnot. So um, the priesthood of all believers, we believe, um, you know, we are all royal priesthood. Um, the Catholic church believed that the clergy is just the royal priesthood. But in, in a sense, the church, even today, we still have that division between clergy and laity um amongst the church that a lot of people they really honestly idolize their pastors and idolize their apostles and idolize whoever in in leadership they prefer them over anybody else um they have this unholy honor towards them or whatnot we, we give them all these gifts and we do all this stuff and we really prefer we really think that they have you know are the are the mouthpiece of God as far as just just whatever they say is right or what or whatnot, and we don't go back and read and make sure you know that that what we're listening to and what we're being taught is correct and things like that. So that was the same thing with Martin Luther. He was just saying that you know um, the clergy is not the the final the end all of of interpretation or whatnot. So um, he believes that we all are priests royal priest and that the holy spirit can give us interpretation of scriptures so the seven sacraments that he was talking about these are um these are what the, the catholic church believe that you have to be in agreement with in order to be saved so these are works that the catholic church believe that you have to follow to be saved and, you know we don't believe that um you know you be saved by your works you're saved through grace in Christ alone. So in baptism, um, he was saying in the video that they believe that you are washed from your sins um, in baptism 
he called it a spiritual vacuum in which our original sin disappears as God becomes present in, in the soul. And so the next one is reconciliation or confession. That's when you see that confession booth. And this is the time I remember mentioning that this was a time where it was the, the Italian mafia was really big at that time. So they will go kill and then come confess their sins, give their penance, pay, pay you know, pay off their sin and keep it moving. So they believe in that. Um, the Eucharist is the communion. Like for us, we believe that um, communion is a symbol of his bread, of his life, I mean, of his body and blood. They believe that the actual bread and wine is the body of Jesus Christ, that it just turns into bread and wine. But they believe it, can't, it comes right from Jesus Christ. Where we believe, That's scary. Yeah, that is scary. So where we believe is just a symbol or whatnot. So that's when you study the Eucharist, um, it's very um, <laughs> interesting. Um, the confirmation, uh, you, pro- you guys probably heard of confirmation, probably even went to one. Um, it's a, it's a, a moment it was a, where it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in which um, helps confirm the Catholic witness to Christ and lead them to a mature Christian life and things like that. Um, marriage they don't believe in divorce so this is what um when he was talking about hearing the eighth hearing the eighth he wanted a divorce from his wife but the catholic church was like no you can't get a divorce or you'll be excommunicated from the church so henry the eighth was like well we're not going to obey six i mean seven um sacraments we're only going to obey six, uh, seven i mean six and in that case we're going to separate church and state and i'm going to be over the church and we only have six. So that's when that's where we had the separation of church and state. Uh, Henry VIII wanted to get divorced. He wanted to marry this young woman or whatnot. So he decided that he was going to be over the religion um, and we're going to separate church and state. So that's where we kind of get that uh, separation of church and state. And um, then he was known as the defender of the faith. But now Queen Elizabeth is defender of faith. So, um, so this, this is just a few notes that I, that I had from, from the, uh, from the, uh, video. So anybody have any comments or just some aha moments or. Just the fact that, um, I had a friend who, uh, was married and, uh, she divorced her husband. Yeah. And uh, she was, they were, they were Catholic and they put her out the church. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's what they do. They put you out the church. And when they put you out the church, that means that you are not saved anymore. So they just took your salvation away yep. from you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. The Catholic church had control like that because they made the people believe that they controlled right. their salvation. Yep. Yeah, so they completely the disowned her. Uh huh. Didn't want to have anything to do with her. I mean, just all of that. She was hurt. I mean, she just she cried yeah. for months. Yeah. That's yeah. Pastor just tried to put me out of the church like that. Oh Lord, is, you try to take your salvation, huh? My and my license, but God is faithful. Oh, I gave up my license. <laughs> I freely gave that up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's see, Khalil, did you raise your hand? Yeah, what's up? What's the um the holy order? The holy oh, 
Let's see, I skipped over that one. Let's see here. Um, oh, the Holy Order, the uh, priests and laity. So, you see, there are two notable ways which the sacrament holy order differs from other sacraments. One is the fact that the holy order can be administered only by a bishop. Only a bishop has the power to ordain priests. An ordinary priest cannot pass his power to another. The second way in which a holy order differs from the other sacraments is that holy order is not received off at once. So you have to earn your holy order. Yep. Any other questions? Uh, I wanted to make mention, though, of free will. I'm just going to go back on my notes. Um, so um, in the Catholic Church, if, you're, if you are born in the Catholic family, um, you guys know about when they do christenings and all that stuff. So the christenings is, is their, their confirmation of their, of their salvation. So you can be saved as a baby. So you could be born in salvation or whatnot. And um, you, I know we know the term of godparents. Their, their definition of godparents is that if the child begins to stray away from the church, the godparents has a responsibility to bring them back to the Catholic church. That's why they're called godparents. <laughs> they're... they're standing in as God, helping them getting back. So we use that in the, in the Christian church and try to make it seem like, you know, it's something that you do when, you know, a parent passed and you take the, over the responsibility. No. What it means is that mm -hmm. if that child begins to stray, you kind of step in the yeah. place as God and bring them back. Yeah. It's more so like you're their personal assigned per se uh, yeah. intercessor. Right, right, right. Gotcha. But they they control their salvation though. Yeah, got you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I got you. Mm hmm So, I think that's it's it's good to know. You guys do more research because I'm doing research and I was very surprised. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't need no godparents of my children. Amen. Just have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anybody else got any comments or anything? Let me see. So, should we use that term, godparents? <laughs> uh, my personal. I mean, you tell, you're, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, my personal opinion, no. Because it's not mm -hmm. number one. It's not biblical. And number two, we can't control anybody's salvation. So if that person begins to stray, all we can do is pray for them, but we can't forcefully put them back in the church. So they already, you know, they're- Is there a better word that we can use? Say it again. Is, is there a better word that we can use? Like for instance, you know, as you've been talking about, you know, we're not Christians, mm -hmm. you know, um, and we're you know disciples mm -hmm. so in place of saying we're a godparent um <laughs> uh, <laughs> i wouldn't say beneficiaries <laughs> i just wondered if there was another word uh no because that whole the whole ceremony thing you can't back that up with scripture anywhere 
So that's really just up to you mm -hmm. as far as, is that something that you will forsake because you know the truth as far as it's not something that we have to do. I mean, if you want to do it, assign someone rights when you die, that's more of a beneficiary thing, I would think. Something you just put in your wheel. It doesn't have to right. be ceremony. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just my opinion right. on it or whatnot. Anybody else have an opinion on that? I don't think we mean it in the same way anymore. And I don't know if anybody would even understand what somebody was talking about if they tried to make a huge deal out of it and talk about the Catholic Church from, you know, the biblical days, blah, 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 blah. But this is this is current. This is not, you know, back in their day. And, right. Still something that they now. Yeah, and any pastor that, that you mentioned godparents, most pastors are going to tell you exactly what was what she just said. You know what I mean? And they're even going to mention from the standpoint, like, you know, from our angle, you know, this ain't something like, oh, my God, you just got to have it. And then it's a beneficiary type thing to where you're basically mm -hmm. saying, if you're the godparent, you have you have the right that if something happened to me, over my my aunt, my grandmother, my cousin. Yeah. You literally just gave them right to raise your kids. And that will help hold up in court. And that will hold up in court because you just gave them the right, even though your mama or your aunt might step in and say, uh-uh, I'm taking them. That godparent has the right to say, no, has this is my right. responsibility. Yep. It, it anybody... Yeah, and anybody that I've ever, you know, we dedicate the baby and they talk about, well, these are godparents. I'm like, I hope y'all know what they really say. You know what I mean? Like, they're not. And I tell the parent, like, these quote unquote godparents aren't supposed to raise your child either. They're there to, if something happened to you, they go step in. And that's a big responsibility. But I do, I do hmm. like the question that um, Sister Patrine, uh, Patricia Dean Tillman posed. Um, um, uh -huh. when we invite people in our children's lives like that, that are close to them, mm -hmm. is there a term, you know, outside, I don't really, y'all know, I don't even really care, but I'm saying, is there another term that we can offer just so that person can be identified that they are very close to my child? You know what I mean? In certain circumstances, you know? I did like that question of, you know, like, you know, is there a term that we can identify? You know what I mean? Yeah. And right, I because I have a, uh, I have a godfather. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, what most of us do. Right. I don't, technically, I don't either. So, yeah. Uh, some people don't, um, how can I say this? Um, live up to per se being a godparent right um like when a child was first born and oh yeah you know this and that and so forth but um as they get older it just kind of fades away mm -hmm. um but i'm thinking about this person who i call my godfather he is serious <laughs> about being my godfather and um i really do believe although we never talked distinctly about what it really means you know what i mean you know because we 
just never, we never have. I'm saying other people too, you know, may have said, you know, well, will you be the godparents, you know, but there's nothing in writing. It's just verbal, um, you know, and just don't really live up to it. Right. So, I mean, you can call them godparents if you want to, but I think the, you need to think about the ramifications of it. You know, like you said, like usually that godparent fades out after a while, they may buy you cute clothes and take you out or whatever. But I think that has to be explained as far as what a godparent is and how serious Mm -hmm. that, that matter is or whatnot. So, I mean, you can call them godparents or, you know, whatever, if you, you know, if that's your conviction or whatnot. But um, I think it's just more important just to know what that really means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So make sure your insurance papers are up to date. That's all I can say. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, all right, cool. Any other questions about that? We got a few more slides, got a few more minutes left. So, yep, these are the things that the the Catholic Church, they believe that you have to follow these things in order to be saved. So that's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty crazy. Um, All right, we go on. All right, the Catholic response. So the, the protest, debates, writing, arguments, and so forth against the hierarchy of the church will culminate with Martin Luther's excommunication from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church would then convene one of its most important councils, the Councils of Trent, in opposition to apparent individualism of the Protestant uh, reformers. The council wished to locate the interpretation of the Bible firmly within the life of the church. For this reason, the Council of Trent decree biblical interpretation made it difficult to engage in biblical interpretation in succeeding centuries. So this kind of, because of the the Council of Trent, because of the whole Reformation movement, it really took the power away from the Catholic Church as far as them deciding on um, biblical interpretation. Because now since um, Martin Luther, he started making copies of the Bible in different languages, he you know, translated it in German from there, went to Spanish from there, went to English and all that stuff. So all of a sudden you get copies and copies of Bible that are spread out. And so because people are now getting a hold of this Bible, um, the Catholic church can no longer control the interpretation or control what you read or whatnot. But in the Catholic church, um, they, they, they still wouldn't let, the laity own a copy of the Bible. I was talking to this, this lady, we have a um, uh, class together online and she was, she just recently uh, com- uh, came from the Catholic church into, you know, quote unquote Christianity. And she, the first thing they told her to do was to get a Bible. And she was so afraid to get a Bible because she was always taught if you own a Bible that you can die, like you can, lose your life if you actually have a physical physical copy so it's only been like the last maybe 50 years or 100 years that they were allowed to own a copy of the bible so this is nothing that just in the 1500s like this was still going on and it it just kind of lifted not too long ago so all right let's see here so this is a term we you will see there's a document in the Dropbox. It's called the um, Council of Trent, their decrees. It's 22 pages long. I, I couldn't print it out, of course, 
but you will see this term anathema. So at the end of the first epistle to the Corinthians in 16, um, chapter 16, verse 22, uh, St. Paul says, if any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema marathana, which means the Lord has come. But commentators have regarded this expression as a formula of excommunication in very severe uh, among the Jews. So in the Western church, marathana has become a very solemn formula as anathema by which the criminal uh, is excommunicated, abandoned to the judgment of God and rejected from the bosom of the church until the coming of the Lord. So if you go against the church, they, you, you automatically are considered a criminal and they reject you or whatever. So, and they will use this phrase like anathema. They have been anathema or whatever. So in, in this uh, decree, I picked a few out, which I thought were kind of interesting. Um, this one is number 15. It says, if anyone shall say that a man who was born again is justified, is bound of faith to believe that he is surely in the number of predestined, pre predestinated, let him be anathema. So we will definitely be excommunicated because we believe that you are justified before the foundations of the world. But if you are caught believing this, you get excommunicated. So um, another one is if anyone shall say that he he will for certain of an absolute and infallible certainty have a, have that great gift of perseverance until the end, unless um, that he have learned this by a special re revelation, let him be anathema. So in any type of interpretation that you get from scripture and you said, you know, you received it uh, from the Holy Spirit, but not from them, excommunicated. Um, Two more is uh, if anyone say that the grace of justification only befalls on those who are predestined unto life, but that all others who are called are called indeed, but receive not grace as being by the divine power predestined unto evil, let him be anathema. So, I mean, they are, they are really strict about salvation and um, how you can, the only way you can get it is through them or whatnot. So, um, and through your works, you have to be able to, to do good. You have to be able to give money, give penance and all that stuff in order to have salvation. So the last one is if anyone shall say that after grace of justification received unto every penance sinner, the guilt is also remitted and the penalty of eternal punishment is blotted out, that there remains not any penalty of temporal punishment to be discharged either in this world or in the next purgatory, um, before the entrance to the kingdom of heaven can be laid open, let him be anathema. So if you think that you can, you know, go into the kingdom of heaven without going through them, no, you out of here. So, um, yeah, so those are just kind of a few points that I pulled out of that, that document. So that kind of ends that chapter there. Um, there are a lot of other interesting points in that document. So I encourage you to look at it. Um, everything is in the Dropbox as far as the presentation and the documents or whatnot. So um, that ends that chapter. Um, anybody have any questions or concerns? Doing good? Mm -hmm. All right, cool. I'm going to take a 10 to see. I got Miss Eva, I got April. I got Dale, I got Daryl, 
I got Khalil. I don't know what name down. Yep, Khalil. Um, I got Tanya. That's Jamal. That's Jamal. Hello, Jamal. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. I got uh, Trish Tillman. I got Shakai. I got Tammy. I got. I said Tanika. Thought I did. Tanika, Tracy, and Wayman. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody? Got everybody. All right, cool beans. After this, we got two more classes and then we're gonna um, take a break until like the beginning of December or mid-December. And we're gonna be doing um, uh, Bible study methods. And so I'll be ordering those books soon. Uh, forgot, I need to talk to Tracy. Well, you can say your name if it's okay for me to order the books now. Because <laughs> uh, I always forget to ask you when I see you. Um, so I gotta order the new books and um, those will be available to you all. Um, definitely uh, encourage you to get the paper books because there are a lot of exercises in there as far as helping you learning how to study the Bible and um, doing uh, devotionals and things like that. So definitely get the, because I always get electronic, but I encourage you to get the paper copy so you can write in it as well. So if there aren't any questions, I'll go ahead and pray out. Um, I have a question. Yep. What's up? I have a question. Yes, um, once we're finished, um, I know I missed two, two classes, I think, or something. Mm -hmm. um, is there going to be a certificate of completion or yes. no? Do I yes. need to make up the two classes? Um, I, think I think you got it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I think the percentage is what? Is it 80% or? It's like 90% or something like that. So you should be fine. Yeah, you should be fine. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's going to be a total of like 13 Okay, because classes. I was going to say. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Yeah, uh -uh. I, I was uh -uh. going to say, I've been listening on YouTube. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> yeah, on YouTube. And yeah, I as long as you go back and look at the <laughs> video. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's fine. Just let right. me know that you did it, and you still will get credit. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a partial credit. You get well, a point man. 25. I've been giving my thumbs. <laughs> I give my thumbs up. <laughs> She's going there, see a thumbs up, and I think I'm the only one. But what? <laughs> but okay. I mean, yeah, as long as you go back and listen and let me know that you did, I mean, that's cool or whatnot. So. Okay. Mother, you see my message. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I encourage you all to keep on studying. I see you guys are really reading outside of the class because, you know, I have people coming to me asking questions. So that's really good. So definitely continue to study and look at resources things like that and anytime you have questions just hit me up i don't mind you know talking and helping out and all that stuff so um if there aren't any questions i will pray out um father god we thank you for this day we thank you god for allowing us to come together and study your word um we thank you god that we are learning the truth god and that we um have the holy spirit to give us biblical interpretation we don't have to get it from man that we don't have to take what they say for gold. But um, God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that encourages us, that helps us um, to learn and to help us to get closer to you, Father. So we thank you, God, that we are not tricked and bamboozled by man and have to give money and do all these things in order to receive your love and salvation, that your love was freely given 
and it was given unto us, God, before the foundations of the world. So I just pray for the students that are online, that they would continue to study, continue to um, work hard. For it is hard work, but at the same time, it is rewarding. And so, God, I, I bless you and I thank you for them. And I thank you for this um, avenue that we're able to teach via Zoom um, in the comforts of our own home. So I give you glory and an honor and praise. And I bless them as they go, um, protect them and keep them safe. So we give you the glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a good night.